We are so honored to have Billy. I have known Billy for many, many years now. I first met her when she was working for Kenneth Hagin and uh, fell in love with her then and have been in love with her all these years. We've had the privilege of preaching together in various meetings over the years, and uh, it's always a joy and an honor to be with her and to hear what the Lord has given her. And once again, I believe what she's going to bring over the next three days is going to prepare us for the days ahead, but even more so, prepare us for the coming of the Lord. Amen. How many of you are excited about that? Praise God. Amen. So we want to give Billy as much time as she needs tonight. So would you stand one more time in honor of the gift of God that has been sent to us over this weekend? And let's welcome Billy. I love you, girl. I love you. And I'm so, I'm so glad you knew Kent. Yes, I loved I loved your husband Kent. Yeah, I had a, he was a, he was a man's man. He was a man's man. He was a wonderful man. I married uh, a handsome Cherokee, and uh, but he wasn't a preacher. No. And we were so shocked when we got invited to go and do the Kenneth Copeland meetings, you know, and they would sit him by Jerry. Yeah. Sitting by Jerry, he liked to sit by Jerry, and he said, "Real loud voice, I think you heard him." Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry had on a wine suit, I think, or a, and, and some wine yeah, shoes. Yeah, didn't he say one time, said, does Jerry have shoes the, the color of every suit he has? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then he said, does Jerry have a Bible every color of the suit he has? <laughs> he recognized special things. Oh, yeah, he did. <laughs> and also, uh, Billy's daughter, Shelly, is here, and her husband, David. Give them a good warm welcome. All right. So Bless the Lord. We are ready to receive, Billy. Okay, thank you so okay. much. You can be seated. Bless the Lord. Yes, I get out all my stuff here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I ha- I bought some mini books, and I think they got here. Um, thank you. That's enough, David. Thank you. Um, I'm not going to preach on it tonight. Hi. How are you doing? You here from California or what? You, well, bless your darling hearts. Um, if I had one thing that I could get over to you that you need to be doing, Carla talked about occupying, you need to be using the authority of the believer. If we will use the authority of the believer, we can control elections, we can stop any shoot ups in our churches. Anything like that, but you have to do it. It's not something you can just believe or think is good. You have to do it. You have to know how to sit in your seat of authority in the mornings and take authority over the devil, over Satan. He's the one acting up all these crazy things going on. So we have a, a marvelous book, Brother Hagin's, of course, The Believer's Authority. And then um, Macmillan's book, The Authority of the Believer. But I wrote this little handbook here so that you can know how to sit in your seat of authority every morning. If there's anything I know, my son Chip was talking to me on the phone. We, we were in the car today and he said, Mom, you rely on the authority of the believer. I said, I surely do. I rely on it. I believe it. I'm telling you, no devils are coming near me. 
I'm 83 years old. I did not get COVID. Yes. I am not ever getting yes. COVID. Bless the Lord. And I am strong and healthy. And the reason why is for years and years and years I've been doing this. And years and years and years I've been doing my healing scriptures every day. So I'm not bragging on me. The word of God works if, works if you work it. And thank God, like he already told you, I got to work with Kenneth e. Hagan and do his books and do his magazines. And that's what brung me up in the Lord. Hallelujah. So I, I'm going to give these away. Now, just take one per family. I don't know how many are out there. But uh, you can ha- yeah, I'll give you this one right here, dear. It's the authority of the believer and how to use it. So you can go back there, one per family, and get, get you one. If you promise. If you promise that you'll do it. If you won't do it, just leave them there. So bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Jerry, I'm tempted to tell a, a bad story on us. Us, you and me, and Mark Bazee. We were doing a meeting up in uh, Carlton, what was his name? Carlton Arthur in in Chicago. And we were doing this meeting, and this lady comes in, and she is just dressed to the nines. And Jerry's preaching, and she stands up, and she starts cussing Jerry. (laughs) And she starts using words I have never heard in my born days. And I mean to tell you, she let her rip. And uh, we were all horrified. And Brother Jerry says to me and to, and to Mark Brzee, y'all take her back there and cast the devil out of her. <laughs> so we went back to a back room and she's just as nice as could be. No cousin, no nothing. Just real nice and in her nice little outfit and... That was it. So she went home. Well, I was, I am an editor, uh, was an editor of books, and I edited some books for, um, just on a freelance basis for Dr. Sumrall. So I was telling Dr. Sumrall about it. He said, you didn't handle it right. He said, she was on your territory. He said, you should have right there in front of everybody, you should have exercised your authority and cast that devil out of her. She could pick it up on the way out. But he said, if she wants... But he said, where you all missed it, you blinked. <laughs> so from then on out, devils better not come in my meetings. I'm not going to blink. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. I hope you brought your Bibles. Real Bibles. I know you have your phones and all that, but. I want you to turn the last page of the book. Last page of the book. I better pray and ask God to help me. I already been praying a lot of times today because, you know, I just came back from a month in Israel and, uh, bless the Lord. Dear father, please help me one more time. And I know you will. And we trust you for it. We know, like Carlos said, Lord, we've got to hear you now. We have to hear you. So speak to us. Reveal to us. In Jesus' name, amen. The last, if, if you take a, a, 
a debate course or, or homeneutics or homiletics or all that stuff. They tell you what you want people to remember, you tell them last. So this is what Jesus told us last. If you look at the 22nd chapter of the book of Revelation, verse 7. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keeps the sayings of the prophecy of this book. 12th verse. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Verse 22. He which testifies these things saith, surely I come quickly. Here's what we're supposed to say. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. We're not supposed to say put it off just a little longer. We're supposed to say even so, come Lord Jesus. I remember... Uh, when our ministry offices, we have a church in Collinsville, Oklahoma. And by the way, Jerry, we're in our second expansion since Chip's been the pastor there. He is doing a great (laughs) job and it's growing. Bless the Lord. But uh, we were just little then, you know, and our office was an oak desk at the end of our bed in the bedroom. And that's where I opened the mail. And I remember the card I got. And she said, did Jesus miss it? He said he was coming quickly, and did he miss it? And so I prayed about it, and the Lord showed me then about what we are to expect and what quickly meant to the Lord. But I want to show you something that will help you. If you'll get that chart of days out that I sent, bless the Lord, and we'll see if they have it up here. There it is. After my husband passed away, I said to the Lord, what shall I do? He said, I want you to go and study Hebrew in the land. So I did. And that was 1986. And I've been learning a lot in the land ever since. So I did not know this at the time I answered this girl's question. But I know it now. When Moses... You know, we know that my picture in my little Sunday school mind was he went up and sat on an ice cream cone mountain and lodged there on a rock for 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't do that. And and twice. If Jesse went to heaven from a hotel room one afternoon, Moses didn't go just to the top of the mountain. He went to heaven. And there he received the word of God, the written word. And this was what he was told, and this is a part of the oral tradition. This is in the Talmud, Sanhedrin 97A or B, I've forgotten. But he was told that Adam was given a six-day work week, that God worked six days and he gave Adam six days to see what Adam could do with, with earth. And then there would be a seventh day, like God rested on the seventh day, there would be the Sabbath, the seventh So each day is a thousand years. We know that. Peter told us that. A thousand years is a day. A day is a thousand years. That was in the Psalms. So we have the Old Testament and the New Testament telling us that each one of those six days he was given is a thousand years long. 
So those days from Adam, now I am one who believes that earth is billions of years old. However long true science needs. I believe there was a pre-Adamic civilization. I believe that all the fossils and dinosaurs and all that come from the pre-Adamic civilization. And I wrote about that in my book, The Blood and the Glory. But Adam was created 6,000 years ago. Since Adam, it's been 6,000 years. So you take Adam over here, and then we have these six days are divided into three parts. The first two parts are called the days of chaos. Then the word came. I would hate to have lived before the written word came. Moses received the written word. Oh my goodness. 2,000 years and then the word came. Then there were to be 2,000 years of Torah, the word. And then Messiah was to come at the end of the fourth day. Then you have the last two days are called the end of days. Messiah, if you read the Talmud, and you can read it, it's online. They'll have a little asterisk and they'll say, he was supposed to come at the end of four days, but we weren't ready and he didn't come. He did come. And those who were looking for him, the Bible says that Anna in the temple... She went to those who were waiting for the consolation of, of Israel. They knew it was the end of the fourth day. One of them was uh, Joseph, you know, of Arimathea. One of them was Simeon. One of them was Anna. She was the first to preach he's here. He came at the end of four days. And then the last two days are called the end of days. When we see in our King James Bibles and others the latter days, the it. it it, the latter time, it's the end of days. It always says the end of days. It's the end of the six days. So the end of the six days has a beginning and it has an ending. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, he said, these are the end of days. He was at the beginning of them. Jews knew what he was talking about. They have started. Now you and I live at the end of those 6,000 years. We live at the end of the end of days. My Jesus. Now there's a seven year period at the end of the six days that we're going to call, because Jesus did, the great tribulation. He said it'll be a, a time of tribulation like the world has never known. Before that time, before the, that, we're going to be out of here in a rapture. Now, there's a lot of talk these days. Forget the rapture. It's not going to happen. We're going to take everything over. We're not going to take everything over. Bless the Lord. There is going to be a rapture, and it's not a thousand years away. It's not a hundred years away. It's very, very close. Hallelujah. There are signs. God's a sign-giving God, and he wants you to read the signs. If you can't read signs these days, just one week ago on Sunday morning, I was at the garden tomb in Israel. I was there where it happened, where he came up out of that grave. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. And I just sat there and just looked at that 
tomb, uh, they had a worship service. But the people I was with, I said, let's go sit over here. We don't need to be in front of the preacher. We see preachers all the time. Let's go over here where we can just sit and look at the tomb. And so we did. And it's a spot that is really beautiful. The British bought it some years back, and they have a gorgeous garden there and peaceful there. You've been in that, I'm sure. But all around it, it's right in the middle of a hostile neighborhood. And while we were there at the garden tomb, there was a military uh, helicopter overhead going round and round and round because on the top of the temple mount, there were riots going on. They were throwing rocks and pelting the people who had come down uh, to the wall to worship. And so uh, these, these things are all around us. The war, wars and rumors of war. Uh, I, I think we'll talk, uh, I'm not sure exactly how to put it all together. I was telling Carla, I got enough for 14 days. But we're going to have to have the Lord just sit this out here, what we're supposed to talk about. So I want to know how many of you cannot be here Sunday morning. You're all going to be here Sunday morning? Yes. Praise God. Well, that helps me know what to do because Sunday morning, I'm going to preach on the rapture and the marriage supper and all these great and wonderful things. So I didn't want to do it if a lot of people couldn't be here Sunday morning. So that's, that's the way we'll do that. Bless the Lord. But there is a lot of talk right now, and I hear it. My ears are tuned to hear it. Just forget about the rapture. You know, we're going to take over. We're going to go into this field and that field and this field and that field, and we're going to take everything over. Well, I agree with Brother Oral Roberts' idea. He said, we're going to take the gospel into every man's world. And he talked about television and, and law and medicine and everything. But Oral Roberts believed in the soon coming of the Lord. I heard him say, I never start preaching a sermon that I expect to finish. I always expect the Lord to come while I'm preaching. So that's the right attitude. Yes, you go ahead and you prepare and you go into this world and you go into that world. But don't think. We're taking over any, any pillars, any areas, and that Jesus is not going to come till we get it done. If that's the case, it'll be a jillion years because we're not making that good of progress. Bless the Lord. But look at this scripture. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 23. This is talking about resurrection. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. Jesus is going to do it. It's not going to be us. Every once in a while, this uh, false doctrine pops up, kingdom now. And it has a different aspects to it. It was really big back in the 80s, kingdom now. We are it, and we're going to establish the kingdom on the earth. We're getting it all established. And, um, but that all fizzled out and came to an end. 
So we're not establishing the kingdom. Jesus is doing it. He's coming and then he's going to hand it to the father. Bless the Lord. Um, Prophecy. One half to two thirds of the Bible is prophecy. Most of it's been fulfilled. Some of it has not. And so we're looking at some of the fulfilling. I think, this is what I think. I think that the war that started with Russia involved and some of the things that are happening is going to lead into Ezekiel 38 and 39. And so we may or may not have time and leading to go into that Ezekiel 38, 39 war, but we'll see. Bless the Lord. To understand Bible prophecy, you have to rightly divide the word of God. Have you ever... Well, I'll start with this. I was a Christian a long time. I didn't have any idea you had to rightly divide the word. I was a Baptist. We gave a lot of attention to the word. And we read our daily Bible readings. I read them faithfully because you had to, to mark on your envelope that you did it. And so (laughs) I guess there have been some Baptists in here, bless the Lord. But I didn't know anything about rightly dividing the word. Actually, I was called to preach. But they didn't think that women could preach. And so I was very, very frustrated. And then Kenneth Hagin laid hands on me. Miraculously, the Lord got me to a meeting. I said one week, speaking in tongues is of the devil. And the next week I was speaking in them. (laughs) And that was because someone took me to Kenneth Hagin's meeting. And he taught on it. That was 1967. And then I came to work for him in 1970. And in the charismatic days, there was a lot of craziness going around. And one of it was heavy submission teaching. And women just couldn't do anything. It was just, they couldn't even read the Bible without their husband sitting close by and putting his arm around them and and, and shielding them. I don't don't believe most people would believe the craziness. Do you? So I went to work for Brother Hagin. And one of the first books I edited for him, I didn't, wasn't at the seminar, but I edited the book was The Woman Question. And I'm sitting at my typewriter editing this book. And I cried. I got over that typewriter and I said, oh God, you mean I can do what I felt called to do since I was three years old and not get in trouble at the judgment seat of Christ? He said, yes. And one day you're going to leave here and you're going to preach the gospel. And he said, But right now, you don't know anything. And this is your Bible school. I've been saved 20 years. He said, you don't know anything. That's what he said. You don't know anything. I taught a Sunday school class. But I didn't know anything. So he said, this is your Bible school. That was before Rhema. That was years before we had Rhema. What a Bible school. To get to work. With Brother Hagin's teachings. He didn't have many books then. I got to work with them and put them in the word of faith. And I got to put them in monthly lessons. And I learned and I learned and I learned. So we were living in Collinsville, Oklahoma, which is a little town 20 miles north of Tulsa. At that time, about 3,500 people. And already, Rama had been moved over to Broken Arrow. So um, I 
had about a 30-minute commute every day. And as soon as I would get home, I had a husband, a hungry husband, and four very active children. And uh, they, uh, every night, the big thing was we had a big round oak table, which Shelley has now. And it, it's our memories where we all sat around and heard Kent wax eloquent. He was a Cherokee, and he loved to tell tales about himself and how he played football and how he did this and that. And, and how he found the best antique, he loved antiques, the best deal, and the guy didn't know what he had. And so we could just see him around a campfire somewhere. It, it was really wonderful. There wasn't any place to go out and eat in our town anyway. You know how Collinsville was, 3,500 that many years ago in 1970s. And um, so as soon as I got home from work, I took all the dirty clothes, put them in the washer and dryer room. It was right next to the kitchen cabinet. And then I put Brother Hagin's teaching for the day in a cassette tape and put it on a shelf over, the, over my sink. And then I start peel potatoes. I could peel five pounds of potatoes and they'd eat them all up, you know. I mean, it was, it was not, every night I peel potatoes. And so I'm peeling potatoes and I, I'm listening to Brother Hagin. What he taught at Rhema that day. I wanted to maybe get something for the word of faith or I just loved hearing what he taught the Rhema students. And he said, today I am going to teach you on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. I thought, hmm, I never heard him preach that before. But it was a second year class, you know. And so he said, start it off. Do you know why what Paul said on the subject in 1 Corinthians does not match what Jesus said in the Gospels? I dropped my knife. You mean to tell me Paul and Jesus didn't agree? I mean, that'd be bad. He said, it's because he knew they didn't know why. And I didn't know why. Remember, I don't know anything. And so <laughs> I had to see why they didn't agree. And Brother Hagin said, it's because they were writing to two different groups of people. Jesus was speaking and speaking. Jesus was speaking to Jews. Remember, he was sent to the lost tribe of Israel. He was speaking to Jews living under their covenant and interpreting it for them. And Paul is writing to the church who has only one law, the law of love. And he was interpreting everything in the light of the law of love. Then Brother Hagin said, I'm going to teach you how to rightly divide the word. This is the word of God and it has to be rightly divided to be understood. He said, all error is the result of a wrong division of the word of God. So turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. 2 Timothy 2, 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Now I'm telling you what Brother Hagin said on that tape. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So this Bible is the word of truth, but it has to be rightly divided. And if it can be rightly divided, it can be wrongly divided. Error is a result, especially in end time teaching. In time teaching that says the church goes through the tribulation is error. 
And I will prove it to you before we're finished. Why? It's because they take some verses that have to do with the Jews and apply it to the church. Brother Hagin said this. I'm going to just giving you what he said that day. He said, he gave these rules for right Bible, Bible, rightly dividing the word. Number one, read it in context. Read the word, the chapter in context. And then whatever that says, whatever that verse says, you can't just lift it out and build your own doctrine. It has to harmonize with all the rest of the Bible. Prophecy has to harmonize with all the prophetic scriptures. Then he said, you always have to consider who's talking and who are they talking to. A scripture can be, and Jesus spoke things just to one person. He spoke things just to Judas. He spoke things just to the disciples, just to Peter. But you can be speaking, a scripture can be speaking, and Brother Hagin brought this out, to groups of peoples. And there are three groups of peoples that a scripture can be referring to. Three groups of peoples. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10, 31. First Corinthians 10, 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no one offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Three groups of peoples. One, the Jews. Two, the Gentiles. Your Bible might say Greeks. Because the Gentile world had been Greekalized or Hellenized by that time. The Jews, the Gentiles, and the church of God. If you go all the way back to Genesis and study this second group, they're called the nations. The Jews, the nations, and the church. In the Old Testament, there were only two of those groups. There were the Jews and the nations. The nations are introduced to us first. They were the sons when the sons of Noah got off the ark. Then we find in Genesis 10 a list of 70 nations. But then we see those nations rebelled against God. They tried to build a tower of Babel. So God separated. He already had the plan. He separated to himself a, his own nation, his special nation, his chosen nation. He asked Abraham to come. Let's go to Genesis 12, 3 and read that. This is right after Genesis 11, when the nations have rebelled against God, building the Babel, the Tower of Babel. And the very next thing, it's not a surprise to God. He knew it would happen, and he already had a plan. Genesis chapter 12, he told to Abraham, now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Let's just say that right here, 
are all the 70 nations. And they've fallen. And let's just say that God takes one of them and chooses it for himself. And he says, all of you nations, if you bless Israel, I'm going to bless you. If you curse Israel, I'm going to curse you. And actually the Hebrew says, all the families of the earth will bring blessing on themselves. So all these nations right here, they've fallen and God has got to reveal himself to them. And he chose a nation to reveal himself through, the nation of Israel. He put that nation, do you have the little three-leaf map that I sent? This is an ancient, ancient map. The Bible tells us in the 32nd chapter of Deuteronomy that God put them, when he divided the nations, he put them in the center of it. This is an ancient map. So that's Jerusalem in the center. Europe, Asia, Africa. That's like the center of everything. All the caravans, all the armies, when they were going to march from one place to the other, the easiest place to get to it is down the coastline, down this little land bridge of Israel. So all the nations of the world with their caravans, with their armies, they're going to move through there. So he takes this nation of Israel and he puts them in the center of everything. And he says to them, I'm going to bless you. Read uh, 28th chapter. You're familiar with the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy. You're going to be blessed coming in. You're going to be blessed going out. You're going to be blessed in the city, blessed in the field. Every one of those blessings from Deuteronomy 28 is something you can see. Because God's going to use this nation to reveal himself to all these nations. So they're going to come through there. They worship a plethora of gods. They're going to come through that central place. And they're going to see a nation that worships only one God, Jehovah. And they're rich. They're, they're cattle. They're fields. They're, they're children. Nothing barren. Everything. You're blessed in your basket. You're blessed in your store. Blessed, 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 blessed. And they're supposed to, this nation is chosen to reveal God to the nations. The nation of Israel. That is their job on earth. To reveal God to the nations. Now in Deuteronomy 28, he said, if you don't, if you don't obey me, curses are going to come on you. And the worst curse... You're going to be taken off the land and you're going to be scattered throughout the four corners of the earth. So he takes them. Ah, I should have picked something else. I'm going to pick, this will be desecrated, but we don't care. Well, I guess I can't do that one either. I need a knife. Yeah. Can you cut this off right here? Yeah, I just cut that right through there. Let me get you. He got this brand new knife in his basket in the room. Okay, now, I'm not through. So he says, if you don't obey me, little nation, then I'm going to scatter you. Cut that off. I'm going to scatter you. 
I'm going to scatter you. I'm going to scatter you all over the world. And wherever they go, they're going to know. Do you realize what a miracle it's been that he has kept that nation scattered? Knowing who they are? Not through scattering. (laughs) I'm scatter you and scatter you. And every place, they're going to know. But then, just before the Messiah comes, I'm going to gather you. I'm going to gather you. I'm going to gather you. I'm going to bring you home. And that's going to be a sign to the nations that I'm God. My word is true. And Jesus, the Messiah, is coming. You should see Jerusalem. It looks like a crane city. You know, the building cranes. They're everywhere. It's growing. It's prospering. You should see the fields, the lands, the the wheat. One week ago today, Shelly and I, we have this guide that we just love. He's like a son to me. And he said, I want to take you somewhere on a, where I've never been. And he said, let's, I gotta, let's just go. So we went. And he said, they've opened a new uh, site, digging site. And you know, the ark was 369 years in Shiloh. And uh, then Eli, Eli, we say, was a good priest, but he had these boys that were terrible. And you remember Hannah prayed and God sent little Samuel. But these sons who were supposed to inherit the high priest, they, they were terrible. And the Philistines, because Israel was disobeying and the sons were so bad, the Philistines were winning. So they were down in a battle. They had a battle with the Philistines and they lost. So the two sons of Eli, Eli, they said, we'll go get the ark. We'll take it into the battle. Then we'll win for sure. So they went and got the ark, but they didn't win. And the ark got captured by the Philistines. So, oh, I wish I had some pictures to show you of of Shelly and me last Saturday. I might bring them another time. So he said, let's follow the ark. So we went to the place of the battle. That's an open spot, you know, and they've just done it. It's real new. And you can see where they were and where the Philistines were. He said, now let's follow the ark, but we'll have to take the back roads here. In fact, we'll have to go through the fields. So we're going to go through. They took it to each of the Philistine cities. It brought so much trouble to the Philistines. They, they had to get rid of it. So they devised this plan with the milk cow. You remember that? And uh, so we're going to go to Ekron. Now, Ekron is not there. It's gone, long gone, and they're not digging it. But you can see, he said, they had a big, booming uh, olive oil business. So we go to where Ekron was, and you can see the remains of the olive oil place. Now we got to go through fields to get this. So here we go, all through these fields. I mean, as far as the eye can see, wheat. The land is blessed. It, 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 didn't, it didn't bear anything, fruit for anybody until the Jews came home. And then it's blessed everywhere. 
and we saw cotton fields and we're just in the middle of these fields. Now they got these little roads, you know, right down through it's on a kibbutz really. And they own, have lots and lots of acres and they've got this drip system where you take hose and just have little, you know, holes punched in the garden, like a garden hose, but of course they're big to do these big fields. And uh, so we are going through there and the wheat, Shelly and I got out and we looked at the wheat and he said, I'll show you what Jesus did. Now he's, he's Jewish, totally Jewish, but he believes like we believe. And I said to him one day, have you converted? No, he said, missed my chance to be one of the 144,000. <laughs> Everything Jesus said and did, he believes. But he's holding out to be one of 144,000. <laughs> so he said, I'll show you what Jesus did. So he got out and he got this. I never knew when Jesus went through the field and they ate the wheat because they were hungry. How do you do that? Chomp on a stalk? What do you do? So he took the head of the wheat and he rubbed in his hands like this. And then the little kernels fell out. Like they looked like little popcorn seeds. And so we ate them. And we looked all around to see if anybody, it was Sabbath. We looked all around to see if anybody was going to get us for doing that, you know. But they didn't. So suddenly we're driving along and we don't go any further. And he looks at us and he says, we're stuck. I said, stuck? How can we be stuck? I mean, it hadn't rained for days and these fields are kind of dry. A water pipe burst. And there right where we drove through... We were stuck. So I offered for Shelly and I to get out and push, but he wouldn't do it. Now you're in the middle of thousands of acres. How do you get out of that situation? He's going to walk and get help, but there's no place to walk to. So he calls a guy that he knows that lives in a kibbutz. And uh, with your phones these days, you know, you can give the coordinates. And they can find you in the middle of fields. And so he found us and pushed us out of there. And away we went, right on to Ekron. But... Uh, I just told you that story to tell you how blessed that land is. They're sending fruit all over the world. They're sending food all over the world. The cranes are everywhere. And it looks like their gas wells, which they have discovered, uh, Europe is going to start using them instead of using what uh, Russia formerly gave them in the, in the supply. I mean, it's a miracle. God has brought them back for us to see. They are a sign that Jesus is coming soon. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. So, three groups of people. In the Old Testament, there were just two. First, the, jo- the, the Goy, Goyim, the Gentiles, the, the nations. They fell. Then God made the separated nation. And that's the Old Testament. Then when Jesus came, Death, burial, and resurrection. Now, anybody who believes on him and believes, Romans 10, 9, and 10, that God raised Jesus from the dead, then they are immediately a brand new creation. They're not Jews anymore. They're not Gentiles anymore. I was in a church service. They have now become new creatures, a brand new man. One translation says a new species that never existed before. That's what we have to get into us. We are not mere men. Paul said you are acting like mere men. We are not mere men. 
We are people who have been raised with Jesus Christ. It said when God raised him from the dead, he raised us. When he seated him, he seated us. The church, actually, people argue over where the, when the church was born. I believe it was born when God raised Jesus from the dead. Because that's what the book of Ephesians said. The book of Ephesians said, when he quickened him, he quickened us. When he raised the body, raised the head, he raised the body. When he seated the head, he seated the body at his own right hand. And now we are seated at the right hand of God. And we have the ability to every single day sit in our seat and rule and reign and not let the devil... One thing, I've, I've taken thousands of people to Israel. And I teach a lot about Israel. But I don't like it if they start acting like they're Jews. They're not Jews. They're born again new creatures. They don't need to start thinking of themselves like that at all. The Jews are the Jews. And did you know it? God's got a plan for the Jews. The Gentiles. God's even... There's going to be folks living on this earth during the millennium... That are going to be sheep nation people. Not you and me. We'll talk more about this later. We're going to be raptured. Hallelujah. And changed like unto his glorious body. But there's going to be people living here on the earth. And the Bible said they're going to have children. And their children get to play with uh, pets for lions and things. Chip, my son, he used to say, I wish I'd be in that time. I'd like to have a lion for a pet. But they're going to be having children. Earth's going to go on. God's going to restore this earth. There's going to be a millennial kingdom on the earth during that seventh day. With Jesus at his head. We're going to talk more about that later. But bless the Lord. You were... How many of in, in here were, were born a Jew? Your mother was a Jew. Nobody. So that means there's a bunch of goys in here. Goyim, there's a bunch of Gentiles that were, but you're not a Gentile anymore. I was in a church service once and this preacher was preaching and he said, I want all the Gentiles to raise their hand. I didn't raise my hand. I'm not one. I used to be one, but I'm not one anymore because I believe in my heart. God raised Jesus from the dead. The Holy Ghost killed me. Yes, sir. He killed me right then. My old spirit man died and I was born of God. Hallelujah. Now I'm born of God and I'm a brand new species. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Brother Hagen, I've got a, I don't know if we brought these books, but Brother Hagen always said, all the Bible is for the church. All the Bible's to the church, but not all the Bible's about the church. Some of the Bible's about other people, but the part of the Bible that is two, four, and about the church are the New Testament letters. And when people would ask Brother Hagen, oh, I thought I put that book in here. How do you study the New Testament? He said, the best way. You're the church. You're the body of Christ. Spend most of your time in the New Testament letters. Underline every scripture that tells you who you are and what you have because you're in him. It's in the New Testament letters you're going to find your future. And that's where you're going to find that you're not going to go through the 
wrath, the period of wrath, and we will talk about that. But you are not appointed unto wrath. That's, that's something that we'll talk about later. So there are three groups of people. There are the Jews, there are the nations, and there is the church of the living God. So when you rightly divide the scriptures, and especially end time scriptures, you have to remember that so that you'll get things right. Now let's go to the book of... Um, well, especially... Well, uh, before we go there, this is from the numerical Bible. Sister Jeannie Wilkerson used to recommend this Bible. When you're studying the book of Revelation... You have to remember, you can't do away with Israel. If you do away with Israel in any of your end time study, you're going to get all mixed up about things. And this is a statement from the um, numerical Bible at the beginning of their comments on Revelation. We must not merge Israel and the church. Or forget even the purposes of God as to the earth. In higher and heavenly ones. The true revelation to interpret prophecy can only be found, therefore, not in self imagined canons, but by having before one the great promises of God. Remembering how he challenges every thought of Israel's undoing, especially with regard to Israel, his people even the new heaven and the new earth. Turn with me to Jeremiah 31. And I think while we're doing that, Jeremiah 31. And then I want you to turn, put your finger there. I mean, you got all these fingers. You could do this. Then go to Peter, First Peter. Hallelujah. I didn't know I was going to do this, so I... Ah, it's Second Peter. The whole book of Second Peter is prophecy. And the whole book of 2 Peter tells you exactly when Jesus is coming, if you understand it right. But I'm not teaching on 2 Peter tonight. So Peter, in 2 Peter, he's getting ready to go. Peter had a place in the early believers that was past Paul's. I mean, Peter had walked with Jesus. Paul, it is said, was a, uh, he, he, he was a minister sent to the Gentiles. Peter was sent to the Jews, the circumcised. Now he's getting ready to go. And he's going to have to give them some information before he goes. Look at verse 13. I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle, his suit. The the New Testament never speaks of death regarding Christians. It never says die death. It says change your tent, change your house, depart. So here he says, I think it meet as long as I'm in this tabernacle, this body, 
to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus showed me. You remember the time that Jesus showed Peter about how his life was going to end. So he said, that's about to happen. And before I go, I've got to leave you with some information. Oh, what a book this is. But we don't have time to go into it. Now, he says, verse, 16, uh, verse 15, Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able, after my decease, to have these things in remembrance. Here's what I want you to remember. This is the last thing I'm telling you. I'm getting ready to go. We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Then he's going to tell them about when he was on the uh, Mount of Transfiguration. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You remember when he was there on, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John were there with him. Moses and Elijah came to talk to Jesus about the death he was going to accomplish. And he said, I was there. I saw that. And this voice, verse 18, which came from heaven, I heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. But, he says, we've got something more sure. More sure than being on the Mount of Transfiguration. Transfiguration. We have a more sure word of prophecy. We've got the written word. The word here is propheticos, and it means the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. We've got something more sure than seeing and being up there on that mount. We have the written word, what the prophets say is going to happen. Whereunto you will do well if you take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the day star arises. In your hearts knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now this whole book is going to be prophecy. And he's telling to those people, we were there, we saw the Mount of Transfiguration, we saw Jesus, but we've got something more sure, and it's the written word. Not only... The, the, the Tanakh is what it's called in the Hebrew. The Torah and the Nevi'im, the prophets. He is particularly referring them to the Old Testament prophets. If you want to know what's happening today, you're going to have to know what the Old Testament prophets said is going to happen. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Now... Uh, we're not going to, there's a lot of replacement theology taught. We won't go into that right now. But it started many, many years ago that God's through with the Jews and the church takes their place. But that's not so. So turn with me now to one of those Old Testament prophets. And if you want to know God's plan for Israel, you can find the whole thing in two chapters. Chapter 30 and 31 of Jeremiah. Hallelujah. And here's how it's going to end up. Read Jeremiah 31, 35. Thus says the Lord, and when it's capital L-O-R-D, it's Jehovah. 
which gives the sun for a light by day and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, who divides the sea when the waves thereof roar. Jehovah of hosts is his name. The Lord of hosts, Jehovah of hosts, that name of God means he's the God of all the armies. And all of his armies include the armies of the angels, the armies of Israel, the armies of the church, the armies of the elements, even hailstones. And when you see his name, Jehovah of hosts, it means I'm going to do this and I'm signing my name as Jehovah of hosts because if it takes every army I've got to bring this about, it's going to happen. You can count on it. Hallelujah. Thus says Jehovah, which gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, who divides the sea when the waves thereof roared. Jehovah of hosts is his name. If those ordinances, the sun, the moon, and the stars, depart from before me, saith Jehovah, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. As long as you can see the sun, the moon, and the stars, there's going to be a nation on the earth called Israel. And in that seventh day, the capital of the whole earth is going to be Jerusalem. It will be ruled over by the Lord Jesus Christ, and then under him David, and then the Jews will rule from Jerusalem over all the earth. We... I'm getting ahead of myself. Got to be sure to come back Sunday. We will have been glorified. The demons will have been shaken out of the second heaven and we'll rule over all the earth. It is so juicy. The word of God and the clear signs and what he tells us is going to be. We just can't miss it. Holy men of old wrote as God moved on them. And Peter said, you better pay attention to them as if a light shining in a dark place. Folks, it's dark out there. But I'm not the least bit shaken, scared. I'm excited because I know what the light says. I know what the light says is going to happen. Hallelujah. Verse 26, 36. If these ordinances, ordinances depart from before me, says Jehovah, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation. But they're not going to depart. Thus says the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath I will cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they've done. Well, nobody can do that. Nobody can measure it. So they're not going to be cast out. They have a place. There is a place in that millennial age for the Jews and for the uh, sheep nations. But praise God, there's another place for the church of the living God. Hallelujah. Now, let's turn to Matthew chapter 24.
Hallelujah. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. The second temple, when they rebuilt it in the Old Testament, it was nothing to compare with Solomon's temple. And the Bible says that people even cried that had seen the first temple. So in the time of Jesus, actually it was a 34-year building project. Herod, the mad king Herod, who had all the boy babies killed, was a genius builder. And he wanted to build something so that people would remember him forever. And he has some building projects that stand till this day. Uh, the burial place, the cave where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are buried. Other places are, are still standing that he built. So what he did, he refurbished the second temple in a 34-year building project. And he took that, he made a platform, a 39-acre platform. And then the temple, it sits like this over against the western wall. And a wall goes all the way around it, around the 39-acre platform. That's where you see that western wall. Some people call it the Wailing Wall. But up on the top, that's where the Dome of the Rock is. And so what's been happening lately is Palestinians up on the top gather up stones and throw them down on the Jews that are worshiping down here on the plaza and firecrackers and fire and all kinds of craziness is, is going on there. Now, one thing that could be fueling because well, Shelly and I were over there for a month and there's a wave now of terrorism and it hadn't been for a while. So they think that one thing that is fueling this is a prophecy. The devil's a counterfeit. He, he counterfeits everything God does. So one thing um, that's happened is, there's a, maybe you read about it, uh, one of their scholars has said it's time for Israel to be pushed to the sea. That it's going to happen, that it's going to happen in 2022. And that it's going to start uh, June or July of 2022. So 73% of the... Uh, Islamic Arabs believe that prophecy. And so they kind of think that they can get it started. Right now, Ramadan is going on. Ramadan is the month of fasting for Islam. For the first time in years, Easter and Pesach, Passover, and Ramadan all came at the same time. There were thousands and thousands of people in Jerusalem, more than has been in years. And so up on this Temple Mount, that's where the, the craziness is going on. I, I, I'm checking day by day to see what they've done yet. But it looks like one thing, Friday is the holy day for the Islam people. And the last day, the last Friday will be uh, the 29th of April. So they are suspecting that some things might, might really come out of Iran or some other places on the 29th. So that's one thing we pray about. I mean, we're in authority and we pray, bless the Lord. Uh, uh, Israel is not going to be pushed to the sea. It's not going to happen. 
But you know what? I thought about it. The devil knows the power in the words. And he's got millions of people saying, Israel's going to be pushed to the sea 2022. But it's not enough. It's not more than this. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Now, back to this here. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. These boys are from the Galilee. And they've gone down here to Jerusalem. And there are these Herodian stones. How many of you have been to Israel and been in the temple, uh, seen the underground tunnels? I'm telling you, you can hardly imagine. They'll, they'll, they'll have one, well, they'll have one of our group, our tour group. And they'll say, now you stand right here. Then they'll send another one way down there. It's one stone, one huge stone. Now this is, it's not in the temple wall, but it's in the wall of the platform. I still don't, I've been there. I don't, uh, I can't even tell you how many times. And they, they always explain how they move the stones. I still don't get it. I still do not understand how those people back then moved those stones. So that's what, the, that's what these boys from Galilee, they don't have anything like this up in the Galilee. And that's what they're telling to Jesus. They showed him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus, verse 2, said to them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Next line. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, the temple mount is Mount Moriah, Mount Moriah. And all around it are mountains. You know that psalm that says, as the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people. What this tells us here is, they were on Mount Moriah. But now they've crossed the Kidron Valley and they've gone up to the Mount of Olives. They often went there, the Bible says. It's the same place of Gethsemane. They've had time. Did you hear what he said? They're after him. They want to kill him. And he's saying the temple's coming down? That's a dangerous thing to say. Well, maybe. Maybe he's ready to defeat the Romans and to set up the kingdom on the earth. That could be. So by the time they get down from Mount Moriah, time has passed. And they have posed three questions. Now, this is very important in rightly dividing the word to understand end-time teaching. Here are the questions. First question. Tell us when shall these things be? The temple come down. It actually was going to happen 40 years later. 40 is the number of testing. It's going to happen 40 years later, and Titus is going to come, and he's going to burn the thing. Number one, tell us when shall these things be? Number two, what shall be the sign of thy coming? This word is parousia. It's a Greek word. And this word means the coming of a king or an emperor. So they're asking him, number one, when is the temple going to go down? 
Number two, when are you going to set up your kingdom? Because the Jews have heard from the beginning there's going to be a kingdom set up. And he's told them that. It's truth. There's going to be a kingdom on the earth. He offered it to the Jews. They rejected it. They could have had it then. I don't know what would have happened if they'd received, but I know God had a good plan. Number one, when will these things be? When will the walls fall? Number two, what will be the sign of your coming? I think they thought that would happen right after it. I think those Jewish boys thought when that temple gets destroyed, then he's going to set up his kingdom. And number three, what shall be the sign of the end of the age? King James says world, but the word is age. What shall be the sign of the end of the age? So Jesus gives them signs. The signs are in Matthew 24 and Luke 31, 21 and Mark 13. I, if they'll let me, I don't have time to do it here. But if, they, if the Savelles will let me, I have here a comparison of Matthew 24 and Luke 21. Because in these chapters, sometimes he's talking about when he's going to set up in his kingdom. And sometimes he's talking about when, uh, when the, uh, the tribulation time. And sometimes he's not. So people get this all mixed up, and that's when they think that they're going to be going through the tribulation. So we might print these off. Do you have the ability to do that? And then you can see it, how these talk about those things. But when he's talking about, let's, let's, look, let's go over to Luke 21, and we'll close with this. Hallelujah. In Luke 21, this part right now, he's talking about when the Jerusalem's going to be under siege by Titus the Roman. Luke 21, 20. And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let them that are in the fields not enter into Jerusalem. Don't come to Jerusalem. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Woe to them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon the people." And they shall fall by the edge of the sword. The Romans brought the sword. And they shall be led captive into all nations. In 70 AD, the Romans, uh, one million, I've forgotten how many, one million, one hundred thousand died. The rest were carried off slaves by Rome. And they shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Rome is going to come. They're going to burn it. People are going to die. Don't come into Jerusalem. Oh, if you read Josephus, you can see that false prophets and false teachers said, come to the temple. It'll be all right. And the people came. They should not have come. 
and horrible things happen. Josephus said, oh, this is such an interesting read. He said that God gave signs for years, seven years before. He gave signs in the sky, signs everywhere. And Josephus said, I am convinced that God takes care of his people and gives them signs. But people go their own merry ways, Josephus said, and bring these things upon themselves. Praise God. Hallelujah. After all these signs, this is what Josephus said. He gave all the signs. There was one woman. She was very rich. Josephus tells this. And she didn't pay attention to what Jesus said. She came into the temple because the false teacher said it's going to be safe here at the temple. She came in. She was very rich. And uh, so the other Jews who are starving because Rome set up a siege. No food can come in. No water can come in. So they, they, they wanted to get all of her food that she had. And, and, and it was dispersed. And they're all starving. And she says to them, I don't have any more. And... Uh, Then they smell something like meat cooking in her house. This is what Josephus wrote. She had killed her baby and was cooking the flesh. She said, I was nursing the child. I had nothing to nurse. The child would die. What did Jesus say? Woe to those that give suck. And and it came like that. And so they were carried off. They were carried off slaves. Verse 14. No, 24. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem, he's talking about the city, shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So there's a period of when the Jews went into Babylonian captivity, that's the beginning of it. And then when it's over, when the times of the Gentiles are through in Jerusalem, and that will come back into the Jews. And there shall be... Now he skips 2,000 years. He skips 2,000 years. They're going to be carried away slaves until... And he skips 2,000 years. And he's coming down now to give signs of the time when you and I live. Verse 29, and he spake to them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. Here's your sign. Here is the sign. You want to know the sign of Jesus coming? Watch the fig tree. You know what the fig tree is? Israel. Israel is God's time clock. If you don't know anything about Israel and you don't know how to watch Israel... Jesus said, it's the number one sign, it's the sign. You can't leave Israel out. You can't leave teaching about that out. I think there's been a vast, maybe since Hilton Sutton left, I don't know. But for some time, when I was growing up, we had a lot of really good teaching coming in the Baptist church. I think they did in the Assemblies of God. People would come along and they'd preach about Israel and they'd preach about the end times. But then suddenly it fell out of fashion. And suddenly we're going to do everything. We're not. We're going to be a glorious church, all right. I believe in a glorious church. I believe in a great move of God. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. 
But if you want to watch the signs of the time, Jesus said, watch the fig tree. I don't believe that you can obey Jesus if you don't watch the fig tree. If you don't watch Israel and see what's happening there. And boy, is a lot happening. I'm so glad that he sent me over there. He gave me the witness. He gave, he, one time I was seeking him about, what am I? Apostle, prophet, pastor. He said, you're a witness. Like he said to, in Acts 26, and I've got to witness so many things. I've got to go to Soviet Russia, and I, I saw it fall, and I got to witness that. And I've got to witness so many things in Israel. And I'm just coming as a witness. And the witness is, I watched the fig tree. And you can watch the fig tree. And you can know when he's coming. And you can know that he's coming soon. And you won't get caught up in these things that say there is no rapture. Just forget about it. It's going to be a whole bunch of years down the way. Just forget it all. You'd be so shocked how prolific that is right now. Well, we're going to nail down that rapture. Probably do it Sunday morning. Woo! Glory be to God. And maybe the Lord will have the rapture come on Sunday morning. (laughs) This is from Josephus Wars of the Jews. And he's talking about all the signs that came. There came a comet that came every day in the sky. Huge doors opened by their own selves in the temple that hardly any man could open. Uh, A prophet, he sent a little prophet there every day. And and here's what, God gives signs. He's giving signs right now. He's giving signs in Israel. He's giving signs all over this earth that we can watch and be ready. And get others ready. Here's what Josephus wrote about the signs. I'm telling you, he told a bunch of things. I can't even tell you all. Now, if anyone consider these things, he will find that God takes care of mankind and by all ways possible foreshows to our race what is for their preservation. But that men perish by those miseries which they madly and voluntarily bring upon themselves. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Now back to the signs. They said, what is the sign of your coming, your parousia? Here it is, he says. Verse 29. He spoke to them a parable. Watch the fig tree and all the trees. The fig tree is the nation of Israel. All the trees are other nations. What nations are they? They're the nations that the Old Testament prophets told us where they're going to be. Ezekiel 38 and 39 tells us where Russia's going to be. Ezekiel 38 and 39, 2,500 years ago, Ezekiel prophesied that Russia and Persia, Iran, are going to be allies against Israel. They never were allies, ever, until 1992, when Russia began to help Iran build nuclear power. Just think about it. 2,500 years ago, there was no Russia. Amazing. He said, you watch Israel. You watch the fig tree. You watch those other nations. What other nations are they? The nations the Old Testament prophets talk about are Babylon, Iraq, Iran, Turkey, Russia, all of Europe, 
All of Europe is in Daniel's Nebuchadnezzar's vision. And so we watch them. They're all coming into place. The nations are all lining up. It's not that God wanted and made them turn against Israel. He just knew what they would do. And so the prophets wrote to tell us. So Jesus said, you watch the fig tree and you watch the prophets. And then he said, when they now shoot forth, come into their prophetic place. When Russia and Persia become allies, when they now shoot forth and come into their prophetic place, you see and know. He's not trying to keep a secret from you. He wants you to know. You see and know of your own selves that summer is nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when you see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. The earthly kingdom, that's what they ask about. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Now, what generation is that? It's the generation that sees the fig tree bud. It's the generation that sees the Jews come home. We sang in that song about the uh, bones being made flesh. It says in the 37th chapter of Ezekiel that they're going to come up out of their graves. And bone to bone, they're going to go back together and flesh goes on them and spirit goes on them. The generation that sees Israel reborn, they started coming home in in the early 1900s, but they were reborn in 1948. Think about it. 1945, they're in the ovens. 1945, the allies go in and let them out of those terrible death camps. Shelly and I were at Auschwitz and oh my goodness, dear God, you can't imagine it. And there they were. And they came home, a little ragtag group. And in 1948, no, 1947, November, they just out of the ovens, the whole world takes a vote on whether there can be a state of Israel. And President Harry Truman, God bless his darling heart, he was a Democrat, think of it. But God used him. And he swung the vote. He had a mother mother that taught him. Bless Israel. Taught him about what the Bible says about Israel. Here they come. The, the, The British were there. Under the British mandate, they were ruling. And they could have had a great blessing for Britain. If they'd only treated the Jews right, but they didn't. So the vote was in November... And, and the British are going to move out in May. And in the meantime, the hostile Arab states say, we're not going to let this happen. We're going, and they started fighting the Jews. And the, Britain would not let the Jews be armed. But they would arm the Arabs. It's quite a time. I've been studying about that time. And then in 1948, when they did become, the day came, May 14th, 1948, when they became a nation, they were attacked by five huge Arab armies. Jordan had one of the greatest armies in the world at that time. And they're just little ragtag soldiers that had to 
Sometimes they would come on a boat, even Britain, if you've ever read Exodus or seen the movie, wouldn't even let them come home on the boats. Sometime they get off that boat, they've just come out of a death camp, and they hand them a gun. An old gun, probably. But miracle of miracles. By the time they finished, they got more land than the, um, that they were allowed under the uh, UN plan, partition plan. And then, in 1967, the Arab states said, we're going we're gonna to do it again. We're going to attack you again. And they did. But in six days, Israel won. And what did they win? The Temple Mount. Old Jerusalem. All of Jerusalem came into the hands of the Jews. They got Jerusalem back in 1967. And Jesus' word says, the generation that sees that is not going to pass away till all is fulfilled. That's my generation. And I'm getting up there. I'm 83 years old. If Jesus doesn't come soon, we're going to have to rip that page out of the book. But we don't have to. The generation that sees Israel come back, they're the sign. The fig tree's the sign. Israel's God's time clock. The generation that sees them come back, they're going to see everything. They're going to see the rapture of the church. They're going to see the whole thing. That's us. That's what Jesus said. I can't listen to them if they say forget about the rapture. I'm not forgetting it, buddy. I can't, I can't listen to them if they say it's going to be a long, long time. Mm-mm. Woo! Glory be to God. Jesus is coming soon. Bless you.